Christian Church. I'm glad you've chosen to worship here with us this morning. You know, Terry mentioned that God's not going to judge you based on how many notes you take during sermons, but it can't hurt. So just throwing that out there. But for six weeks, we've been taking a bird's eye view at the book of Hebrews. And my hope as we've looked at the book of Hebrews is that you've caught on to two big themes that pop up repeatedly. The first one is the challenge of faithfulness to Jesus. All of us know very well, for very different reasons, that faithfulness is not easy. We face various hardships, various challenges. We deal with temptation. We easy task. It is a time takes a wear and tear on us. And faithfulness is not some easy task. It is a big calling, a big responsibility, one that we would do well to not try and attempt on our own. The other big theme we talked about is the greatness of Jesus. The book of Hebrews constantly goes back and forth between these two things. They bounce off of one another. One minute, the author's talking about faithfulness, and the next minute, he goes to the greatness of Jesus, and back and forth, and back and forth. We've read about how Jesus is greater than Moses. He's greater than Melchizedek. He's greater than all the priests of the Old Testament. We've been warned against the perils of unbelief and the danger of spiritual laziness. We've read about Jesus as our great high priest, the perfect sacrifice for sins on our behalf. We've been encouraged because of what Jesus has done. We can draw near to God with confidence and we can hold fast our confession, things that we couldn't have done and wouldn't have done without what Jesus did. We've read about how Jesus was the ultimate example of perseverance and faithfulness through suffering, even to the point of crucifixion. And we've been assured that because he persevered, because he was faithful, we can persevere and we can be faithful as well. No matter what challenges we've dealt with in the past, what hardships we're facing right now and what things might come down the road ahead. Now, today we wrap all of this up, everything we've talked about so far. And we also talk about chapter 13. And I want to ask a question. What now? If we embrace everything that we've learned in the book of Hebrews, if we really take this all to heart, not only as individuals, but as a church family, what would that look like? What would we see? How might we be different than we are right now? What if we were a church full of people striving for faithfulness, not by our own power, but constantly looking to the greatness of Jesus for strength and endurance? What would we see if we were those kinds of people? So with that, open to Hebrews chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible with you, feel free to use one of our chair Bibles. This will be located on page 867. And if you don't own a Bible, grab one from the welcome desk before you leave today and take that home with you. But before we read, let's pray and then we'll get started. Father, we're grateful that for six weeks we've been able to get together and read the book of Hebrews. Uh, Just all the incredible pictures that you paint for us. Uh, The the discussions of Jesus as the perfect sacrifice, unlike the blood of bulls and, and goats and the old way of doing things. Jesus was something new, and yet at the same time, uh, this was not plan B. From the very moment of creation, you knew uh, that you would send your son to die for us, and, and we are grateful for that. 
And God, I pray that as we just kind of sum up everything we looked at so far and as we read chapter 13, that you would give us open hearts and open minds to what you might be telling us. I pray that we would be faithful people committed to you through the ups and downs and through the roller coaster of life. And I pray that the same could be said as our church collectively, that we are a faithful church through ups and downs and through the roller coaster ride that we face. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for all that you've given us. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who we just love singing to and we love reading about. And I pray that his words and his deeds would just absolutely determine everything we say and everything we do. We love you. We thank you for your grace. We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. All right. Well, we're going to start out actually looking back at two verses in Hebrews chapter 12 that we closed with last week. Last week, we closed with Hebrews 12, 28 and 29. And those two verses set the stage for a lot of what we read in chapter 13. So let's read 28 and 29 of chapter 12. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. So we see two big ideas that we talked about last week. We see the idea of gratitude. The passage specifically tells us to be grateful that God has given us an unshakable kingdom. And those times in life when our faith seems shaken, when our faithfulness seems unstable, when we don't know how much longer we can hold on, we look to God who has given us an unshakable kingdom, a kingdom that is not unsteady, a kingdom that doesn't waver, even though we so often do. And everything we read today in chapter 13 is to be motivated by that gratitude. Gratitude for who God is, gratitude for what God has done, and gratitude that he has given us an unshakable kingdom, that we are his children, that we are his heirs. The other big idea in verses 28 and 29 is worship, specifically worship marked by love, worship marked by awe. And when you see an imagery of God, like God is an all-consuming fire, you could even say Worship marked by a healthy fear. The idea is that when we see God for who he really and truly is, when we grasp the eternal magnitude of what it is that he's done for us through Christ, how can we not be grateful? How can we not worship? How can we offer anything less than total, complete allegiance and total, complete devotion and total and complete worship? Everything we read today is an expression of gratitude. It's an expression of worship to God. May we be the kind of people who look at the God who has saved us. And may our gratitude and our worship be seen, not just in our lives one-on-one, but in our lives together as a church family. So let's pick up in Hebrews chapter 13, starting in verse 1. But brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, 
For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So we've seen those two big ideas in chapter 12, gratitude and worship. And here we see a third big idea that sets the course for everything we read after this. And that big idea, it's two words in verse one. And those two words are brotherly love. Earlier in this book, the author referred to the church as the household of God. Paul does the same thing in several of his letters in the New Testament. And members of God's household, members of God's family, have the privilege of calling God Father. Again, we couldn't truly do that when we didn't know Christ. That's why Paul says that we've been adopted into God's family through what Christ has done. And we love the idea of calling God Father. We are eager to call God our Father and relate to Him as our Father. But in the household of God, we also have the privilege of calling fellow believers brothers and sisters. And that is a huge privilege that comes with a great level of responsibility. Because in the household of God, in the family of God, we don't get to just love God our Father and then kind of just put up with our siblings. We're challenged here to truly love them, to let brotherly love continue, to love our fellow believers just as much as we love God our Father. Now, that doesn't always come quite as easily. It doesn't always come quite as naturally. And yet that's exactly what the author of Hebrews tells us to strive for. In verses 2 through 6, we see that that brotherly love that we're called to have for one another expresses itself in a lot of different ways. He specifically mentions hospitality to both friends and strangers, not just the people that we like, not just the people that we love, not even the people who are just fellow followers of Jesus. But we are called to show hospitality to anyone and everyone who crosses our paths. The author even brings to mind stories like Genesis 18 and 19, where Abraham and Lot unknowingly showed hospitality to angels or messengers sent from God. Brotherly love is meant to be shown in hospitality. Our love for God is meant to be shown in hospitality. And our hospitality is an expression of our faithfulness. On top of that, brotherly love is to be seen in our care for the persecuted. Now, in our society, it's not common for us to see brothers and sisters in Christ in prison, the way the author of Hebrews just communicated. It's not often that we see true, terrible, tragic persecution in our very own neighborhoods. But we can pray for those who are truly and tragically persecuted. We can find creative ways to love them and serve them, even from a distance. Our faithfulness and our brotherly love is seen in how we care for the persecuted. Our love for God and our brothers is to be seen in how we treat marriage. The author says that we're called to hold marriage in honor, meaning that we must take it very, very seriously. Three weekends in a row, Olivia and I have attended weddings, several of them for people here who have had sons or daughters get married. And every single wedding we've been to for these past three weeks really emphasize the importance 
of marriage, that it's not something to be entered into lightly. It's not something to be entered into flippantly. And I pray that that wouldn't just be a marker of Christian marriage ceremonies, but it would be a marker of Christian marriages in general. Five and ten and twenty and fifty years down the road. And if we're going to honor marriage as a church, this means that we cannot be content to turn a blind eye to things within our own ranks that go against God's design for marriage. We can't turn a blind eye to things like adultery. We can't turn a blind eye to things like sex outside of marriage. We can't turn a blind eye to things like the tragedy of divorce. And as a quick note, in our society, fewer and fewer people seem to hold to a biblical understanding of marriage as one man and one woman for life. And as a result of that, we're starting to see some pretty warped images of what marriage is in our culture and in our society. And we're going to talk more specifically about that in the weeks ahead. But for now, let me challenge you to consider this when it comes to this passage. It's very easy for Christians like us to sit back and snipe and demonize our world because so many people disregard what the Bible says about marriage. And so many people refuse to listen to what Christians have to say on the subject of marriage. But the truth is, if we aren't obeying this passage, if we aren't holding marriage in honor ourselves, If we are the ones defiling the marriage bed within our own ranks, why would society listen to anything we have to say about the sanctity of marriage? I pray that our faithfulness, that our love for God and our love for one another would be seen not just in our hospitality, not just in our care for the persecuted, But it would be seen in an earnest desire in us as individuals and an earnest desire for us as a church to honor marriage, to honor our own marriages, to honor the marriages of those around us and to truly stick out in a world that is becoming so very confused about what marriage is and what marriage isn't. Brotherly love is to be expressed through how we view money. And how we view possessions is what he goes to next. Now, this is the one that we conveniently like to skip over. We are really good at pointing out how the world has such a warped view of marriage. And yet we kind of just gloss over the verses about money or the verses about materialism, especially in a white collar community like ours. But may our love for God and our love for one another and our faithfulness convict us when we are guilty of greed. Convict us when we seek our contentment in anything other than God. May our faithfulness and our love be seen in a trust for God that is greater than a trust in our stuff or a greater than a trust in our wallets. Our gratitude and our love for God, our love for each other and our faithfulness must be seen in these areas if we really want to take the book of Hebrews seriously. Let's start reading in verse 7 of Hebrews 13. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. 
Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. So the author shifts gears a little bit and he challenges his readers to consider those who led them, specifically those who preached the word of God to them. He's probably specifically focusing on those leaders who have since passed away, those leaders who are no longer with them, those leaders who have died. He tells these readers to look at the lives of those people who led them and to imitate their faith, specifically in that order. After all, if you look at the outcome of a leader's life and that outcome isn't honoring to God, that's probably not the leader that you should be imitating. But don't just look to your leaders, we see in verse 8. Look to Jesus, the one who never changes. And then somewhat abruptly, he switches the subject to diverse and strange teaching, warning them not to be led away from false teaching. Now, this false teaching seems to have been something along the lines of, well, Jesus is great. His sacrifice was important. He's a very, very good high priest. But you can't just trust in God's grace. You have to eat the right foods. You have to honor the right dates on the calendar. You have to follow the right religious rituals. And the author of Hebrews tells them to flee from that. The heart is strengthened by grace. The heart is strengthened by Christ's sacrifice. The heart is strengthened by your great high priest. Don't ever forget that. And when you look at these three things together, leaders who have died, Jesus who never changes, and diverse and strange teachings, you might wonder why they're bunched together. What do they have in common? Well, as you look at those three things, there's only one of them. That never changes. And that's Jesus. Leaders, both good and bad, will come and go. Maybe they go and serve somewhere else, or maybe they die. False teachings will come and go too. One will be trendy and cool for a while, and then it will fall off, and another false teaching will take its place. But Jesus, He sticks around, He doesn't change, He's not unstable. So look to your leaders, be aware of false teaching, practice discernment, but more than anything, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus if faithfulness is your goal as an individual and as a church. Let's pick up in verse 10 of Hebrews 13. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. If you remember the tent, we talked about that's really symbolic for the old way of doing things, the old tabernacle, the old sacrifice, the old priests. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. 
So the best way to counter diverse and strange and false teaching is to just focus on good, sound teaching. In these verses, he focuses on what Jesus suffered, the sacrifice he made on the cross outside of the city of Jerusalem. He even extends an invitation to his hearers to come and suffer alongside Jesus. We might think that sounds weird, but then we think back to what Jesus said when he said, take up your cross and follow me. That might be a good way of putting it. But then on top of that, he challenges them to continually offer praise, continually offer worship, continually offer sacrifices to God. But not sacrifices like those that came before. Not the blood of bulls, not the blood of goats, but rather to offer their worship, offer their words and offer their deeds as a sacrifice to God. As Paul might put it. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. Because you don't need to offer bulls anymore. You don't need to worry about goats. The one sacrifice of blood that needed to be made, that's already happened. Your sacrifices are different. Offer me your lives. Offer me your words. Offer me your deeds. Offer me everything. A faithful church, the kind that takes the stuff that we've read about so far in Hebrews seriously, is the church that marked by all these things. The church that's marked by gratitude and worship for what God has done and who God is. The church that's marked for love for God and brotherly love for one another, seen in our hospitality, our care for the persecuted, our honoring of marriage, and even how we spend our money. That faithful church is the one that remains anchored to Jesus, who never changes, even though leaders come and go, leaders die off, and false teachings come and go as well. And then we get to Hebrews 13, 17 through 19. Talking about leaders again, it must be pretty important to him, as much as he's talked about it in this chapter, starting in verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. As those who will have to give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you sooner. So what else do we see in this faithful church? Well, we see that a faithful church has faithful leaders. And when we say faithful leaders, we're talking specifically about the kinds of leaders who view their calling and view their responsibility as watching over souls. We're talking about shepherds who look to lead their flocks to the ultimate goal and the ultimate outcome of faithfulness. We're talking about leaders who understand the high calling they have, the massive responsibility that they have taken on, but they also find joy in leading. They're not trying to make themselves out to be martyrs. They're not trying to just lead out of obligation. They're leading because they truly love these people, because they truly want to be faithful themselves, and because they want the sheep of their pasture to be faithful to. On top of that, faithful churches have 
faithful people. The kind of people who trust their leaders, the kinds of people who submit to their leaders and pray for their leaders. When we say trust, we're not talking about blind and naive and unquestioning allegiance. We're talking about trust, healthy trust. Because just like those leaders who have died, the way you looked at their lives and considered the outcome of their lives and then sought to imitate them, we want people to be doing the same thing about our leaders now who haven't moved on yet and haven't died yet. We hope that you would look at the leaders of this church and consider the lives that they lead and wonder, is that an outcome that honors God? And if so, trust them, submit to them, pray for them, love them, because God knows we need it. Let's close out Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now some of us might be tempted to read Hebrews chapter 13 and say, wow, we have a lot of stuff to do. If we want to be a faithful church, we better really work hard and get our household in order. We better look to be more faithful. We better take marriage more seriously. We better do this. We better do that. We better do the other thing. All this stuff is on us. And if we look at Hebrews chapter 13 and have that attitude that it's all up to us from here to be faithful. We see the benediction. Verses 20 and 21. Because these verses remind us that we must never fool ourselves into thinking that this is all on us. This is all up to us. It's all about our own willpower and our own discipline. The author makes it clear. God is the one who equips us. God is the one who provides for us. God is the one who strengthens us both individually and together in the long journey of faithfulness. I pray that we would lean into him, that we would lean into his grace as we look to become faithful individuals and as we look to become a faithful church. In verses 22 through 25, the author refers to the book of Hebrews as a word of exhortation. Now, we don't really use the word exhortation a whole lot today, but you can kind of sum it up as a mixture between a challenge, an appeal, an encouragement, and a motivation, kind of just all mixed together. And I thoroughly believe that the book of Hebrews is an exhortation for every single one of us in this church. It's an exhortation for leaders that we might live faithful lives. That we would understand the high calling and the high responsibility that we've given. And we might consider the outcome of our own lives if we expect the people of this church to love us and to pray for us. It's an exhortation for every single person who calls this church home. That you might be faithful. That our church might be faithful altogether. And it's an exhortation to all of us as a family. That our church might be seen as a household of God. 
not just a group of people who come together for an hour on Sunday morning, but a family who lifts each other up, cares for each other, rebukes one another, all of the things that strong families do because they love each other. May we make faithfulness our goal as a church. May we keep our eyes on the greatness of Jesus who never changes, even though so many other things are static. May we be sure and confident that with God's help, with God's equipping, and with God's power in our hearts and our minds through the Holy Spirit, may we be confident that God can get us there. May our faithfulness be seen in our love for him, our love for each other, our gratitude and our worship, our hospitality, our love for the persecuted, our honoring of marriage, the way we spend our money, leaders who love God and love each other, people who follow those leaders because they're leaders worthy of imitation, because they imitate Christ. And may all of us truly understand and truly embrace and truly believe that this goal was not unattainable. That you can be faithful and we can be faithful because Jesus was faithful and because God is strengthening us and God is at work in us and he has something huge in store for the faithfulness of this church. Let's pray. Father, when we talk about faithfulness, some of us hear that and we're intimidated by the huge calling that we've been given to take up our crosses, to follow Jesus, even to the point of our own crucifixion, even to the point of our own death. Some of us read that and we're intimidated and we're scared and we think that it's really impossible that we could ever be that kind of person, that we could ever be faithful. And yet, God, we can be faithful because you are faithful. We can be faithful because your son was faithful even to a cross. We can be faithful because at this very moment, you are at work in our hearts and our minds. You are at work in the individuals who fill this room right now. And you are at work in us as a family. I pray that we would strive for faithfulness and be confident that you can get us there. I pray that our faithfulness would be obvious, would be seen in people who walk through the doors of this church. I pray that our love for one another would be just as strong as our love for you. And I pray that in everything that we say and in everything that we do, we would keep our eyes on Jesus. So much other stuff changes. So many other things come and go. So many other things are unstable. And yet, you remain the same. The crucifixion happened. The resurrection happened. And even though so much other stuff changes, nothing can change that. I pray that we would trust more in Jesus' blood. We would trust less in our works. That we would find ourselves more in awe of the sacrifice that you made on our behalf by sending your son to die for us. 
May that mark everything that we do through the ups and downs, through the joys and the sorrows, through the easy patches and the rough patches. And may we be faithful people. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. As Terry mentioned during his communion meditation, we all have a final exam. There will be one day where we will face judgment. And I pray that if you haven't made that decision to follow Jesus, to make him your Lord and your Savior, I pray that you'd make that decision right now. Talk to one of our elders. They'll be standing at the sides of the room. They'd be happy to pray with you, happy to answer questions, happy to just talk about whatever it is that you feel you need to talk about. These are men who love God. These are men who love you. These are men who truly understand and are truly in awe of the sacrifice that Christ has made for them. And I pray that if you're considering what that means for you, talk to them. They'd be happy to talk to you.